Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Listen up, rugby fans across North America. You are listening to the Rugby Rat Podcast Show with your host, Ty Braga, Scott Barrara, and Rob Hammerschmidt. We tackle the tough topics on your behalf as the fan and share all the latest news, player interviews, and more when it comes to Major League Rugby, USA Eagles, and Rugby Canada. Rugby Rat Podcast Show, growing rugby one fan at a time. Hey there, rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your team. My name is Ty Brog, I'm the host for today's activities alongside the familiar faces of Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And by his side, to be able to take on the team, we got Scott the Big Guy Ferrara. But more importantly, joining us for the first time, we have longtime MLR fan and a fan of the Rugby Rant. Let's welcome Corey Egerman. Corey, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Hey, hey, can I just say, I am, <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad that we have another uh, another uh, friend from Chicago joining the show finally. Scott oh, yeah. had Mikey on a couple times from New York, so we finally got another Chicago. And that is so true. Because you know what? Like Scott's got plenty of backup on the show, That's right? right? Uh, not many have come out from from Chicago, nor listen, the Midwest, I, yeah. right? Listen, I claim I claim Mikey P. I claim Craig, and I'll claim TJ just because TJ's still cool. Right. Right. Well, let's not forget the host of Rooney players that have joined us too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a little outnumbered there. You have yeah. been Rob. So now at least you got one more to be able to not necessarily be on your side, but Amanda could be in your corner. So let's oh, see that you can. Both uh, 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 put your points forward here tonight. As you know, if you are a fan of the Rugby Rand Podcast Show, this is the Rugby Debate Show where our guests are put to the test as they debate the hot topics that you have chosen on the MLR Fan Zone to debate. What are they? Well, let's run through them. First up, we've got the talk of Glendale Athlete Crossover Program. Good idea. What do we think? What are the drawbacks? We're going to put it out to these guys to find out what they think with their opening rants in the first round. Moving into the second half, we're going to take time to talk about the talk of Toronto Arrows moving to a new location for the 2021 season, should they have to, through many conditions linked to COVID. So we'll be debating that and more throughout the course of this episode. And before we dive into it, I want to take an opportunity to thank our sponsors at the Rugby Shop, who, of course, have given us the opportunity to create such wonderful branding for the Rugby Rant podcast show. If you haven't yet had the opportunity to go and check it out, make sure you go and check our gear at therugbyshop.com. It is 20% off this month only. Uh, through January, anything that you purchase from them will be 20% off a great way to be able to save and, more importantly, help us uh, be able to uh, uh, feed our families. <laughs> At least uh, we've got expensive rugby habits, and I know that Rob can attest to that. His wardrobe is quite filled with not only everything from the MLR, but in particular NOLA. Oh, you bet. Gentlemen, now that I've taken the opportunity to be able to introduce you, our sponsor, and everybody to the show, I want to be able to open it up with the first rant being handed over to Corey Egerman to talk about the Glendale crossover program. So let's start now with your two minutes begin. I think the Glendale program sounds like a great idea. And the idea is to bring elite athletes to uh, rugby. They're looking for guys who are most NFL level almost Olympic level sprinters. They're looking for people who are great athletes to come into the program. What's not to like? Uh, um, 
one thing with it, I think you can split it into two different types of athletes. I think you can split it into both guys that are coming back to rugby and guys that are brand new to rugby. Guys coming back to rugby can be like guys like Paul Lasique and Sam Wuching, guys who grew up playing rugby and then had opportunities to um, further their lives via football. Uh, Paul Lasique played for uh, Robin My Chicago Bears for a long time. Sam Wuching mm-hmm. played football at Washington. They were able to get uh, good educations for free. And then uh, Lasique had a long career in the NFL. This kind of could be or this kind of for them to go back to rugby get their feet wet and get back to it with high level coaching uh the other way is i think the way that they're actually more focusing on is people brand new to the game taking those elite level athletes like i said nfl level guys and turning them into football players or turning them into rules. i think this idea can work Look, guys who have been great eagles before you got luke gross who played college basketball dan lyle who was just on the show was a football player Player in college, Dan Payne, wrestling. Uh, in the sevens game right now, you've got two guys in Carlin Island who are um, track and football players. You can turn those guys into elite uh, rugby players. We've seen it. The one thing, though, is I think you can turn an All-American linebacker into a great flanker. I don't know if we can be turning an RPO-tile quarterback into a um, uh, number nine or number 10 on the team. That, I think, takes more years of um, being in the game. Uh, the one part of this that I do think that that I don't think is feasible, they're talking about playing in the protein a year. That's, uh, I think, far-fetched and going to be very expensive. Right. And when you say far-fetched, I mean, it's already a, a difficult enough task to be able to introduce players that have not yet been introduced to uh, – in the game of rugby, or at least at that level. So, yeah, I mean, definitely the program itself is in its infancy. It's, uh, you know, an ambitious task, to say the least. And for those of you that are not familiar, the program we're really referring to at Glendale was born out of the the vacuum, let's say that, that was left behind when the Raptors had announced their exit from Major League Rugby. So here you have Glendale as an organization, a part of, of course, representing Rugby Town USA, cited at the time that they were talking about changing their focus or should we say returning to their focus about developing local players that eventually would be elevated to the heights of representing the USA at a World Cup level and winning games. So that's their core focus. That's their mission. This is supposed to tie into that. So is it the right way to do it? Is it too ambitious? I mean, is this a task that is feasible? Let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt to learn more. Well, I, I don't know what the downside to doing something like this is. I mean, what's the what's the harm in doing so? Uh, let's face it, the United States has had a history of something like this, although not in this specific of a fashion. Corey mentioned some of the athletes that we're talking about, from Luke Gross, who started in basketball, played at Indiana State, to guys like Paul C.K., Carlin Isles, Perry Baker. But don't forget, we had a guy on last week on a run pass or kick, Dan Lyle. The guy played football at VMI. Um, we had a you know tryout with the Vikings, had a tryout with the Redskins. I mean, he was a, what what they're looking for an elite athlete, uh, and and he was just trying out rugby uh, to keep fit, and and it turned out that they hit the mark. I mean, don't forget what the advantage advantage of this is. I think Corey's right in the sense that you're not going to get a number ten or number nine a skill position necessarily, but what you might get because they're looking at body matrix, they're looking at you know strength, they're looking at some of those you know the speed, agility, some of those markers that they can uh, quantify, um, you know, as compared to, you know, other national teams across, uh, you know, in the tier one level, um, what you can get is you can get some of those other players. You can get some locks, you can get some props. Once you teach some skills, you can get a wing, you know, uh, something like that, maybe a center out of something, uh, a program like this. And, you know, they, they combed about 3000 athletes in for this elite program, whittled it down and invited, I think 30, uh, 24 are going to come back for another round. Um, and look, if you get two or three, it's a win, right? It's it's an absolute win. And don't forget, Luke Gross, he's involved in this program, right? right? One of the very individuals who kind of, if you will, started through this kind of similar process. It's a great opportunity. And I think the great benefit that I'm going to finish with this is you can send those guys back to where they're from. There's a guy from LSU, for example, that's a lineman, played line at LSU. You can send him back to NOAA where he can cut his teeth with the NOAA um, Developmental Program and Academy. Right. 
I mean, you bring up a lot of great points. So let's kind of return to what Corey initially mentioned. You built on that is you might not necessarily be getting those nines and tens, the players that need to have that rugby IQ, so to speak, right? Uh, and that comes with years of knowing the game, uh, being at the highest level possible, competing against others at that level as well on a regular basis. Co- competition is a massive component about being able to gain that experience to know what you need to do, right? So there lies another important point. Yes, you can get athletes. What will they be on the field? What positions will they play? Will they be the nines and tens and maybe even the 15? Most likely not. But could you get a whole host of other great athletes out of that, that you could train them and hone those skills, especially when you think about some of them being so specialist, so you just need them to do one job, not unlike football is is a specialist sport, right? So, yes, I do like those important points. And then bringing in somebody who, like Gross, who's already been through a similar sort of process in his own personal capacity as a player and now, of course, development, you know, this whole organization put together with the great rugby minds at Rugby Town and thought, well, what do we do in the absence of MLR? Well, they scoured the, the, the internet, really. They were looking at Instagram posts. They were looking at Twitter accounts. They were trying to find these athletes. And as you so rightly pointed out, it was interesting to see that they had gathered somewhere around about three to 4,000 different contacts. And they whittled it down to about 30 to 40 different players who were invited to that camp. And Rob, as you said, if you get two or three athletes out of that, Yes, it was worth it, but I wonder how much money and time did you spend to get those? That is an important question. Uh, Obviously, we don't know because the fruits of the labor is still yet to be seen, but it's an ambitious task, nevertheless, and one that's gotten the interest of the international rugby community and, of course, at home too. Let's swing it over to Scott to hear what he's got to say. So first, I know my hat is outdated, so I got to, you know, we'll put that to <laughs> 20, 2021 there. I do appreciate that you now just wear your yellow car because you're so used to having them. Listen, it's green. <laughs> it's green. So thank you very much. Hey, uh, secondly, secondly, because Rob's trying to take my time here. He's talking. I'm, I'm going to interrupt him. Let's get hot. Me. I don't care about Rob right now. Let's get hot. <laughs> I think Corey and Rob are wrong about the nine and ten and and. I've, on, Colton, on Colton Strickler's DNVR Rugby podcast, they had Marcus Bolton, director of rugby for Colorado Raptors, and he was explaining, and Corey mentioned it before, that they might be, they're looking to take RPO quarterbacks from high-level leagues and give them uh, a shot at 10 uh, and 9 for decision-making. The only right. reason I say, the only reason I said they, they, it wouldn't work was because they need footwork to kick the ball, and that's not something that comes naturally to somebody who hasn't done it before, but the decision-making on where to put a ball is exactly what an RPO quarterback does. The first thing the RPO quarterback does off the snap is have to decide whether or not he's going to hand the ball off to his running back. Then the second decision is whether he has somebody open in the field to throw to, and the third decision is, is he going to run the ball himself? And the second, third decision are sometimes interchangeable depending on the play. But that's that's the, the same decision that that a ten is going to have. The good thing about it is, is ten is going to have people outside of him telling him if there's space to to throw it outside. So if it's it's not just teaching them to make the decision, it's teaching them to learn from their teammates who might be have more experience in rugby to say, give me you know ball 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 to get that space to get something going. So I think. You can take an RPO quarterback and get a, a nine and a ten out of them. The hard part, I feel, will be the kicking game to get them there because it's that's the that's the not natural part. Throwing the ball is the natural part. Uh, on the whole, on the program as a whole, um, the, uh, Colton Strickler also had Peter Pass, the head of the program, on there, and he was just talking about getting these crossover athletes, specifically targeting football, wrestling, track and field. Um, basketball players, you know, obviously locks need some height and just getting them the basic skills. And I think it's something that you, if you can take a high level level athlete in track and give them the skills to do bobsledding and put them in the Olympics, why not do it for rugby? Now, don't get me wrong. I feel like to, to move the country forward and, and get the best men's uh, and women's teams we have in the national team, we have to do a grassroots effort so that we have kids playing at the age of five, like they do in New Zealand, but to shortcut that, to get the better athletes into rugby now, to get us better national teams, that works. It, it's, my point is, why not try? And the second, right. the third point I want to make is you brought up the money point portion. And my point is, if Team USA is going to be wrapped around Glendale, you're going to get the money when you have all those test matches or you have, you know, selects matches, or you're, you're mm-hmm. going to make some of that revenue back eventually when we have fans in the stands. So I think they're looking ahead to when these players are going to be on the national team or get a seventh right. look. 
or, or have tournaments. And they also bring over uh, – also, uh, they talked about using programs like NIAC, and I forgot uh, they talked about, I think, Seattle, Seattle Rugby Club, who take – players right now and do that for their D1 clubs. So, I mean, it, it's already kind of being done. It just has been pushed to that level of the national teams. And I do agree with you that it has been done before. It's just not been done at this level. So it is ambitious, but it's exciting for the same reason, right? Because what are the outcomes? Sure. The bold and the brave are the ones who really break the boundaries and, you know, to kind of break the mold, because let's be honest, uh, you know, America as a rugby nation has had decades to be able to do what they need to do. And we're still having the same conversations that were probably had 10, 20, 30 years ago. So why end up doing it the same way every time to expect the same result, right? So I like the innovation. I like the concept. It's not uncommon to be able to see this even in professional sports within the US. Now I see it across uh, the pond in the UK and at home in South Africa, but even the, the major league rugby, uh, sorry, major league baseball at one time had gone to India and looked at cricket players as pitchers and, you know, successfully had brought, I think three or four uh, over to, to graduate from the minors into uh, the big leagues. So it's not unheard of. It's just uncommon. Right. And that is something that I want people to be able to recognize, but rugby is an uncommon sport at least to the American, right? So if you have high-level athletes, as Scott had pointed out, that are physically fit, that are fast, that have the presence of mind, who are the decision makers, you just need to be able to apply that craft in a different field. So I think that it is plausible. I think that it is reasonable. I don't think you're going to be having a starting team of, you know, 22, 23 guys within a year. I don't think that's reasonable, but I don't even think that's their goal either. What do you guys think? That, that's not that's not their goal, and, and honestly, I think what what they should be doing, and I didn't I didn't get the sense that they were going to do this, but they should set up a team of these guys to play the academy MLR teams. You know that right. that should be your competition. The D, obviously play the D one clubs, you know, because they're they're the best teams. Like they were talking about NIAC, uh, Seattle. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm you know like it. Their plan on playing hasn't really been put out there yet, and I think that's more due to COVID and restrictions and trying to figure oh, everything sure. out in rugby. From what I understand, States. they were actually prepping a team to play in, in the Aspen Rugger Fest. Right oh, there. Really? Okay. Yeah. I hadn't actually heard that. I mean – Yeah, and, and from what I gather, they actually said that the results were pretty good. Like they had – the first two games were kind of rough, but they the, – but I mean, you know, any elite athlete, you know, at the college level, particularly, you know, we're talking about, like I mentioned, an LSU kid. Um, and I don't know the name. They didn't throw the name out there in the article I read. But, you know, you're talking about a kid who's at an elite level. They're going to pick up a lot of things a lot quicker than the average athlete that's, you know, you know, running amok in, in you know, D, D1 level or D2 level rugby. Right. Um, where I think I dis I, I mean, I, I agree with Scott and disagree. I think a huge advantage of Colorado is the fact that it's a home base for the United States rugby. Uh, in the USAR. I, I, I think Scott hit the mark on that one. Absolutely. And there's an advantage. They can sell a kid. Colorado can sell a kid at least to say, hey, stick around here. You get a lot more exposure to the national team. You can actually mm-hmm. work in there a little bit and you can play with the Merlins or you can play with what we've got going on here in Colorado. That's an advantage to the player, right? Where I disagree is yes, the decision-making might be there. An RPO quarterback might be able to see the field and have that vision, but do they have the skills? And I'm not talking about tactical kicking, although I think that's an that's a piece that they really are going to have to work on. I'm talking about passing, being able to pass off your left, being able to pass off your right, being able to hit a skip pass, being able to hit, you know, a miss two, being able to do some of those things that, that, you know, natural guys who come from rugby playing nations can do uh, mm-hmm. at, at a, at a high level to play in the MLR, or even in a developmental Academy team guys, I've watched division one a rugby and i've watched a team like lindenwood you guys know this where they're getting their tens they haven't had an american 10 play for lindenwood since 2011 they never have right Why? and that's again i Why? talk about the rugby iq you know, it's rugby iq and that, it's ability to put the skill set in there yeah right? and so so you know and that's even with guys that's even with guys and, who are coming through high school and, playing at fly half and scott so, was saying that the rpo title uh, um quarterback has that background of that style pass it's a different pass it's going to be years no i didn't say no but i didn't i didn't say you think it's going to be hard to get those scrum fs and fly outs i mean you look at carlin Isles now he's got a great pass years ago not good it takes time no but i never said i never said they have the pass 
I said they have the skill set to make the decision. The pass is something that they're going to have to work on. And I think my point is if you have intense training where this is what you're working on yeah, with some of the best coaches in the United States, you can get there. But right. to say that the, the I feel the hardest part is the decision they're going to have to make because they never they don't have the rugby IQ. Because that's the thing the hammer always says. Oh, the IQ positions, the IQ positions, those spinal positions. So I think an RPO quarterback can actually fit in that because they have to do that in a different sport already. Right. And, you know, you do something enough. And you become great at it, right? And it's just practice, practice, practice. Now, they, they, that's the, one of the key components here is that they are going to be practicing and using state-of-the-art facilities, at least by American standards. They're going to have field access. They're going to have facility access that is unprecedented for players that in a crossover program like this, right? They're going to be at home base, as you mentioned before, for USAR. So they're going to be with some of the top coaches in the country. They're going to be working with an organization that is giving them support. Support. So if there ever was the right platform for something like this to work, this is probably it. At least that's my, my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we go once around the table here, what will we learn about your opinion? Good idea, bad idea. Do you think it will work? Do you think that it might work, but in many years to come, Rob? Uh, in fact, actually, let me start with Corey because we opened this up with you. So what is your final thought about the Glendale Crossover Athlete Program? Yeah, I mean, there's no negatives that can happen here. It's you're bringing in elite level athletes and trying to turn them into rugby players. Um, I don't see a downside. If we can get one or two guys end up being Eagles, you get a couple more that end up in the MLR. It's a success. Yeah, I, I do love that point, by the way, because. One of the things that was brought up in an article by Colton Strickler from uh, DNVR is that you're increasing the player pool and with great athletes as well. So that's a great final point there for Corey, um, one that's definitely relevant. Let's swing it over, Rob. What's your final thoughts on the Glendale story? I, I love it. And and it's it all it's doing is formalizing and quantifying um, what the United States has had to do in many situations for the last 20 to 25 years. And we've talked about some of those players that have come through that process. Now it's being formalized. Now they're being tracked. Now they're being given a path. And that's what's going to make the difference and help those guys achieve elite level uh, or a couple guys achieve elite level play. Right. You know, and how the story goes, you're either a hero or a zero and only the end result will tell which one's which, right? But it's an ambitious task. The, the energy is right and the intention is, is perfect is to be able to build elite players to be able to eventually represent at the highest level possible. So why wouldn't you want to give that a go? Rob, I like those points. Let's hand it over to Scott. I think Rob, uh, Rob and Corey hit it on the head. I think there's no downside. And like Dan Lyle said in our, in our previous RP, uh, RPK interview, um, you have athletes and you have gamers, and you, the best rugby players have a good mix of, mix of both. So we already know that these these are athletes. So let's try and make them rugby gamers. Secondly, if you get a couple guys that can be successful and go to the national team or go to MLR teams on contracts, the word's going to spread throughout the the different communities. Hey, if it doesn't if it doesn't happen for you in your sport. You can back into rugby as a sport and play professionally or play for a national team or even play on a sevens team for an Olympic gold medal. Right. I mean, if you think about how many athletes don't unfortunately make it to the higher levels beyond, you know, think about how many guys are actually great at what they do at a college level in all sports that never make it any further. And what is the next option for them? And this could be another way to be able to pursue a professional sports career um, although a slight deviation, but still would give them the opportunity to be able to tour the world and do great things as it has been for Perry Baker and Colin Isles and, you know, other sevens natures and players around the board. So gentlemen, it has been an interesting debate. Ultimately, we all think it's something good and we hope to be able to see great things come up from it. So, well, Rugby Rant fans, that was another great episode to be able to talk about the Glendale Crossover Athlete Program. We had Scott, we had Rob, and of course we had Corey Egerman talking about what they think about it. And ultimately, we all agree that it's good news for rugby, especially if you can get some stellar athletes out of this crossover program. But stick around, because we're going to come back after the break talking about the Toronto Arrows relocation for 2021 season. After these words, we'll be back.
Welcome back, Rugby Rant fans, of course, to the Rugby Rant podcast show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside, again, a quick introduction of our players on the field. We got Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and Corey Egerman. You've seen them in the first part of this. Now you'll see them in the second as they debate the news that the possibility of the Toronto Arrows having to move their home temporarily to American soil. So they may very well have to be able to compete outside of their home territory for the 2021 season. This has been an interesting debate. A lot of points have been thrown out. Bill Webb himself has come on to several shows talking about this prospect, talking about the contingencies. We're going to take time to be able to debate that here. And we're going to start this round off where we ended the last with Scott Ferrara, the floor is yours. All right, baby. We're still cooking here. So I think the biggest thing uh, the Toronto Arrows need to figure out, besides the location, is location that will give them fans. So, for example, I don't think it's worth their while to come to New York and share a place in Rooney, which would be an exorbitant expenditure, expenditure anyway, but also because they can't get a gate if they're playing in MCU Park because New York State is allowing fans. So if they have – obviously, Bill Webb has talked about they are doing their best to try and play in the MLR this year, and they're looking at every option. And he's he has been saying that for quite a while. So it's 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 been in their mind that they might have border issues tr- crossing back and forth every time and, and, and the U.S. teams crossing into Canada. So um, I do think – if they can do a relocation because the border is an issue, I think that's their best bet. They have to find a place that will allow them to have fans or some fans or social distance fans or something. Um, if they can, um, honestly, I think they go to Ohio. I think they stay in the middle of the country. That helps them go to each coast. That helps them, you know, Ohio's not that far from the East Coast and not that far from the South. So you can take those trips easily for your Eastern Conference teams. Um, you can cross over to your Western Conference away matches quickly um always come back to a center which is something that uh Kenaloa was talking about uh, when they right. had their bid of ma- of doing all their away matches in one shot and maybe basing themselves at Cincinnati I think uh, Cam Kilgore had said and I think that's the way you have to go and that's the way you have to go about it and it would I I feel bad for people like Doug Wilkie and Karen and all those great Toronto fans that won't be able to see you know be at the home matches but I also like as as if it was my team, I'd rather at least have them play. You know, at least I can watch them play on ESPN Plus or whatever the broadcasting rights are going to be. So I think if they have to move, they have to find some place that they can have fans to to keep that revenue up for that move. Right. I, I, so just to be able to elaborate on that a little bit further, let's just imagine the ramifications for a Toronto fan if for a second season you don't get to see your team at home, right? Because they didn't get that in in, uh, in the 2020 season either, of course, uh, because COVID shut down everything so early, so they didn't even get a home game. Imagine, you know, I mean, I do feel bad for them, but, man, the conditions of what we're under, you've got to think about a yeah. plan A to Z. So I it, love it the sucks. fact that they're actually putting heads together and starting to be able to think about real solutions. And again, we're debating some of the hypothetical solutions that we could see and maybe moving into the center of the U.S., um, where, as you said, it's a great travel location. You're in proximity, relatively close to or equal distance to many of the places you have to visit. So I do think that that is something that could be considered. I mean, and, and Fortress Obitz is already set up for broadcasting because really? they broadcasted Ohio Aviators and Pro Rugby. So I think that could right. be a location if they can negotiate that. And on top of that, for people that aren't aware, they had great crowds, if I remember correctly. Correct. Correct. They did. And yeah, I mean, they're, a, you know, a five or six thousand seat a stadium that actually had consistently achieved those crowds, um, which is a far cry from what most MLR teams are doing even now. So it could be a great option. Thank you, Scott, for that contribution. Let's hand it over to Corey Egerman. Let's see what you got to share. Uh, Scott brought up points about trying to bring in revenue and fans. I think that uh, next year, even in the U.S., we're going to be talking about um, very limited amount of fans come in. So I think the big point is going to have to be cost cutting. Uh, first off, hopefully, Arrows are only going to be playing part of their season down in the lower 48. Um, their first week is a bye week, and then they have two away games. Hopefully, um, they'll just have U.S. and then be able to play in Toronto. But if they do have to play in the U.S., uh, I think that the best option is to be piggybacking with current MLR teams. That way, they're able to uh, share costs. If there is any gate at the um, stadium, they're able to share in revenue. 
You're able to do double headers, which for a fan would be beneficial as well. And being able to have um, piggybacking with current MLR teams probably have access to similar style of housing that they have. Just everything already laid out for them. Having to go to somewhere new um, is going to be a big increase in cost. Even if you're going to some place like the Fortress Obets in Ohio. Or another option, if they had to go to somewhere other than an MLR team, you're still trying to cut costs as much as possible. So a place like in Roblo, Chicago. Chicago has very cheap flights. You have multiple stadiums that would fit. One other option that Ty can probably speak on the feasibility, you have Rugby Town USA sitting there. You have that stadium. You have a passionate fan base. So that can set up for broadcasting. That could all be hearing from Bill Webb. They want to play. They're just looking to try to compete for the MLR Shield. So um, I do think it's going to be um, best for them, though, to be able to cut costs as much as possible because it could be a tough landscape in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I do like that that phrase, uh, sorry, that quote from Bill Webb is that, you know, we just want to play rugby and win an MLR Shield. You know, it's it's such a, a a simple vision, but so hard to be able to put into practice under the current climate that we're all in at the moment with the pandemic looming well into this year. But I think that the important point that you brought up there, Corey, is it's got to be a cost-cutting effort. I mean, you need to trim the fat in almost every corner you can. So to be able to, to find a home in an existing MLR franchise city is probably a great option. And I love that. And I think it's feasible. I think it's reasonable for both parties. You know, imagine that you could do those double headers and you could have twice the attraction that you could entertain fans and give them twice the value. You know, not only will that be a benefit for for the Toronto Arrows to be able to share those costings, to be able to share a home, to be able to uh, subsidize some of the housing costs by sharing it with the existing MLR franchise. You know, there's so many great benefits, um, but really it's just as much the same benefit it is for whoever they might strike a deal with. It all depends on whether that deal is considered fair because a profit share would absolutely have to be on the cards for it to be a viable option because Toronto Arrows couldn't fit the bill and not get a piece of the pie. So it depends on who's willing to be able to make that deal with them. Now, in regards to Rugby Town, I think they might be willing to be able to make a deal. Why? Because there's a vacuum. Now, we have just spoken about that Glendale program, but uh, it's interesting to be able to see what of their calendar and how much of the facilities that would take, or could it be a great opportunity to combine it and give them some game time to have the athletes uh, practice with them? There could be a great silver lining and it could be a great opportunity to merge uh, those two programs. Now, I, I took my, my, my two minutes there. I do apologize. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's, it's really great points that Corey had there, and I wanted to make sure that we drilled some of those home. It was a great uh, 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 opening rant from Corey. Thank you very much. Let's hand it over to Rob the Hammerschmidt. Yeah, so, um, I, I look, Scott, I love the idea of being able to have it at a neutral site where there is an MLR team to potentially grow some interest in the MLR. Obviously, Corey and I would love to see something in Chicago, and I think a deal can be worked out for a stadium that is purpose-built and has a production value, um, and, and I know of one right here. Um, uh, but, you know, here's the thing. Even, uh, I don't know about Ohio, but here in Illinois, um, we're not sure what kind of fans are going to be able to show up in, in Major League Baseball stadiums. So uh, to me, the logical choice is to piggyback and split costs with an existing MLR team, do like Corey did and do a double header. And to me, you do one of the Texas teams, right? You've got right. Aviva Stadium is a purpose-built rugby stadium. Right, you can you can you can rotate them through Dallas, Austin, with relatively little travel. Hell, you could even go down to Nola, right? And Louisiana is pretty well open right now. I know that uh, most certainly. Um, but uh, let me throw a little idea at you. If they have to go that route and they're able to, I looked at the schedule. Here's what's cool: they they actually start. Um, they actually have two away games starting in March, right? Uh, and in April, they start to hit some of their home games. You flip the home games with away games. They're supposed to play an open with New England in New England. You just flip it 
in the schedule. You play in New England. You get all those guys down here. If you can house them and take care of those logistics, you you, you come in the country, they do their quarantine, and then they play New England in New England. They play OG in OG. They play at Rooney. Then they play down in NOLA. And then later in the back half, hopefully things open up and they actually let those teams then play up in Toronto in the back half of the season. Is that ideal? No, but it certainly solves a problem. They don't actually hit, and they don't actually hit uh, a West Co- Western Conference team until uh, the third week in May, right? So think about what that availability in the calendar would allow you to do. Right. And yeah. and I think I, mean, I, I like that point. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Hold on. I want to be able to just pause for a moment and dig into that a little bit further because it's an interesting prospect. Now, the first thing that I love about it is it gives you a little bit of breathing room. Conditions may change. Scenarios may come available that you hadn't even considered. Just by having a couple of extra weeks, it can actually make a big difference. Also, I mean, you're, but the, the downside is you almost have to ask your, your, your franchise to become a touring side for the first few weeks. Um, yeah, but they did that in 2018. But they did that in 2018, and so did Rooney. And, you know, the Free Jacks were pretty much doing that, you know, last year. That's right. The first eight games in 2018, 2019, uh, yeah, 2019 were were away games. Right. So it's not not uncommon, right? It it, is a question, though. And so even though it was done in 2018 and 2019, when they look at the back of the season, they think of how expensive it was, and they already planned the schedule to avoid that because that was one of the pitfalls in previous seasons. So if they had to go back to that model, yes, they could do it, but it wouldn't be trimming the fat that is one of the great exercises they need to do is cost cutting. And, so, and the, on the revenue side, sorry to interrupt, on the revenue side, they were guaranteed the last eight home games. They still might not be guaranteed the last eight home games. And my question right. is, I'd rather know if I was Bill Webb and the, the team over there, I'd want to organize now where we're going to have a home base. And maybe it is switch the first eight games, but they have to find out now where they can set up in New in, in the United States. Because right. I don't want to be doing that in the middle of the season and rushing around to do it. So For I can sure. see where yeah, I can see if they flip the schedule, but the answer still is where are they going to play and they have to know before they start. Yeah, and one thing that well, I just said, if you about, flip the schedule, they know where they're going to play. The question is, yeah, no, but they don't know themselves in some home base to, to practice. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what sorry. I'm saying. But on the back half, of, on the back half of their stuff, you don't want to be rushing around. That's what I'm saying. You don't want to be rushing around because you didn't because you you were hoping that we're going to be in Toronto, but then it, it fell through. You know, you should have it set up before you get into that to even to you know, and then worry about the games during the season. I think Corey had something to say. Yeah. Corey, go ahead uh, and share what you want to share. That another reason to pick another team instead of having to spend the cost to set up in a new location. We're not talking about the Toronto Raptors here. We don't have money to go set up in Tampa Bay and um, have a state for them. I think piggybacking with another team and cutting costs. And then if things do change and they're able to open up in Toronto, boom, you're back in Toronto and they're able to go to um, one of the two stadiums that they used last year. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Com- I wasn't commenting on the piggybacking. I was commenting on when Rob was talking about the schedule flipping, and then say, "Well, you have those extra weeks to figure out what's going on, but you still have to know by the time you hit that those new home game matches where those home matches are going to be played." You know, right. you can't. You don't want to use those eight weeks figuring Agreed. out and trying to train the guys. But so doesn't it buy you time though? Right, it buys you two months worth of time to see how the vaccine right. is rolled out, to see how things change. I mean, right now, okay, but is, my, Toronto, but, Canada, Canada's current uh, situation as far as allow as far as allowing pe- people not, uh, non-essential travelers to go across the border is at as at uh, the thirty first of this month, right? So there's clearly things are are changing rather rapidly, right? So it gives you two additional an additional months to buy that kind of time. But what I'm saying is I'm not saying they shouldn't figure out where to pivot, when to pivot back to Toronto for home games. What I'm saying is you want to now train a team, have them travel for eight weeks, and in the middle of that try and organize where you're going to play a home match if if you, it falls through in the next eight weeks. And you're, and, and you're worried about winning a shield with that same team. I just right. think organizationally it doesn't make sense to do that. So what do you propose to do in the alternative, though? No, I'm saying you flip the schedule, but on week one, you say, hey, if if by the time we flip the schedule and do our last eight home games are going to be home matches, 
right? Or wh- however we're going to do it. We know we're playing at Fortress Obis. We know we're piggybacking, oh, I, pick, piggybacking Enola. I don't have a pro- I don't have a problem with that. Well, I just talking about I the location and the venue. You commented on the schedule saying it gives you the, those eight weeks to give you extra time to figure things out. My point is you shouldn't be doing that. You should already no. have it done. So that way you're, you're okay. So watch you, you have plan A and plan B plan A is you play back in Toronto. So you can give yeah. your fans uh, games to see, but you in the, in your back pocket at plan B, which is, you know, whether Tobits or Chicago or. I think, I think you just miss misspoke when you were talking about that point then yeah that's all so i wanted to be able to talk about locations then so rob you had pointed out aviva stadium why i enjoyed that comment is because if you are thinking about finding a new temporary home you would hope that it would be a stadium that is rugby dedicated because otherwise you're going to be competing against other sports at that same facility so now you've got to take away at least 50 percent of the stadiums available to the mlr right your list becomes very small now, you can consider NOLA as a, as a rugby-specific stadium. Yep. Although it is a baseball stadium, it is only used by rugby. So there's that's on your list too. Are their conditions okay? Are they in the right conditions to be able to allow play? You might end up that Toronto Arrows are not the only one that are under these, these similar circumstances. So you might end up having three or four teams that might have to group together and find a hub. Not that it might be a bubble, but it would be a home for maybe – two or three franchises, that would cut costs. That would make a rugby hub. That would make a rugby hub. And you can sell packages. You can have fans for an attraction. Instead of having a double header, you can have a triple header or rugby weekends. You have a product to actually sell and market now. So what do you guys think about the the, the call that it might even be a few more teams than Toronto that end up in the same boat? Uh, it sounds, I mean, it, it's certainly a plausible uh, opportunity. And like I said, I think Texas uh, and then uh, New Orleans would be an ideal situation because it's relatively compact in terms of travel. I mean, Houston, New Orleans, I think is uh, less than two, about two hours or just less than two hours. Uh, and it's really not that difficult. You could do team buses, uh, which is going to cut your travel costs in so far as flying. And you could do that relatively easily. Right. And you can even staying within the state of Texas prevent you from having to worry about some of those unique state challenges when you go from one state to the next and the quarantining that's happening. I know Scott's experienced that. We here in Illinois have experienced that. So that certainly makes a lot of sense um, uh, down there in Texas. Right. Another thought that I had, and uh, I'll throw this one out to Corey because uh, he's local to the area. So I had a thought, you know, obviously there's a lot of speculation about when. It's not so much if a bid is, is is going to come from Chicago. It's more like when is it going to be an official bid. And citing that as, as the premise of what I'm, I'm, I'm leading into, could it be possible? Could it be a great idea that Toronto, if it ends up being an option, that it's close to, to, to the Toronto uh, uh, fan base, as close as you could possibly get, that they look to to connect with these guys that are talking about developing this program for MLR in Chicago and go, hey, look, here's a great way to be able to prove your model, to prove the logistics that you've got it right, to be able to uh, uh, to use facilities, to be able to, to put together mm. a show, right? And you don't even have to have your own team. You can develop partnerships and relationships while they test their product and their facilities and the logistics. Corey, do you think that's something that might be feasible? And I'll actually throw it to Rob directly after that. Um, for bringing it to the investors that are thinking about bringing a team to Chicago, I don't think it's feasible because we're in Illinois. We're pretty strict still. And I think we're going to be pretty strict still in March and April. So I don't think it's going to be an apples to apples comparison for them to be able to show that this is how it looks when we're still in a pandemic to what it's going to look like hopefully in 2022. Um, I still think Chicago is an option based on um, being able to cut costs, being able to have affordable housing and stadium. So, Rob, I wanted to be able to hear your thoughts on that one, too, before we wrap up this round of the Rugby Rant podcast show. So fire away on the thought that Chicago could actually be a home temporarily. Yeah, I I mean, like I said, I think uh, SeatGeek Stadium would be ideal. They lost a tenant in the Chicago Fire. They got a big buyout, $5 million a year, I think, for the next 10 years. They're looking for Mm -hmm. something to fill, uh, put in that stadium. 
Um, and here's the thing. It's 20,000 seat stadium. So right. could you socially distance in a 20,000 seat stadium and put people in that stands and at least get some, uh, some revenue? Absolutely. I don't think you need to run into it with the Chicago ownership. They have their own worries to worry about and their own concerns and their own things to deal with. I think you deal straight away with SeatGeek. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. And, you know, and obviously there's a lot of variables. That's just the world we live in at the moment. Right. And, and like I said, they already, they've done production on, on MLR, uh, MLS games. So right. they got the production facilities. That's not an issue. They've done the Maoris and the USC Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that would be an ideal situation if you're going to go to a neutral venue. Yeah. And, you know, you'd almost have to look at, like I said before, you'd have to look at a plan A right through the alphabet. Okay. Because everybody's got to roll with the punches. The season that's coming up ahead is, I mean, I hate to be able to say it, but as, as a fan, I would so be disappointed again if it ended up being another cancellation. So they do have to tread carefully. Uh, you know, one fatal mistake again could unfortunately mean that one or two franchises don't make it to the end of the season. Um, and, and let's face it, uh, we talked to Bill Webb, and Bill Webb said he had a plan A through Z. Yeah. Bill Webb is a is an absolutely smart guy, and if there's a guy who can figure it out and figure out how to make it work and be effective, it's him. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And let's be honest, being north of the border in this case is already difficult enough with the travel restrictions and so forth. But all we want to do is be able to have them play rugby, you know, put a team out there. And in that motivation, you know, it would be a success if they managed to be able to field a team for the entire season under the difficult conditions. And if anybody's going to get it right, uh, Bill Webb and that organization will do so because he's got good people around him. Gentlemen, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts. We'll start with Scott. Uh, again, I think they just have to find a place that will allow them to have fans, and whether that's piggybacking or not, uh, that's priority number one. Right. Excellent. Corey, your final thoughts on this topic? I go the opposite way, and I think the priority is just cost-cutting. So I'm going to be man. The good thing is we have – uh, I think Bill Webb's the right guy, like uh, Rob was saying, to be able to drive this mm-hmm. code. Rob, your final thoughts? Uh, flip the schedule, have a plan A and have a plan B. Plan A is to, you know, get them back in Toronto for the second half of the schedule. Plan B, if they can't do that, you know, you have a venue and you you go with what you know, which is Texas or Louisiana. Both those states are pretty open. You can probably have some level of fans and you can share cost cutting. You can cut costs by sharing expenses for production. Right. And the cost of living relatively cheaper than using Seattle or New York, for example, or San Diego. So, you know, the model might work better in areas like that. I agree with you. Gentlemen, it's going to be interesting. We're going to make sure that we stay on top of whatever the decision may be. We'll continue to be able to share it with you as the fan of the rugby rant, more importantly, mm-hmm. the fan of Major League Rugby, rugby in general in the U.S. and Canada, and, of course, more importantly, the Toronto Arrows, who we believe are a fantastic organization. they got the right people driving it, and we hope to be able to see them on the field of play in 2021. From myself and the gang, we now need to be able to find out who is the winner of this rant. So it's been a, a difficult one because everybody's been on the same page, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's been no controversy. There's, there's only been, uh, you know, a few key points that, that stood out from the rest. It's a difficult one to be able to call. So uh, I'm going to do something that's never been done, and it's going to be a push on this one. Oh, uh, that's bullshit. <laughs> oh, come on. That's straight up bullshit. Who I came up you, with flipping the it's schedule? Rare, but that there was an are in rugby. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to point out. I. I. I filled in for you for several weeks. I filled in for you for several weeks. I came in hot and ready. I definitely blew the competition out of the water, and I want to. Oh, and you know what? Okay, Secondly, okay. you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a speech right now. I'm like, Arrows fans, I'm sorry. You might not have any home matches in 2021. And America kicked your butt in junior world hockey to win the gold. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, you know, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. That's my winner speech. I assume I won. I, I can agree with He's the Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I tell you what, gentlemen. It has the been... ticket and the juniors lose all in the same month. Poor Doug. <laughs> Man, you guys just love to rub it in, right? So, Gentlemen, uh, you know, I want to be able to, to, to draw the attention to our, to our guests for a moment. Corey, 
Uh, you've been a great sport to be able to take on these uh, loud mouths of rugby podcasting between Scott and Rob and myself included there. But we want to give the floor to you right now to be able to send a shout out to anybody important to you, a message you want to be able to send out there. Here's your opportunity, my friend. Go ahead. Thank you very much. It was uh, great to be on with uh, these titans of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to a couple of clubs I've been with, University of Wisconsin, Rugby Club, Princeton Athletic Club, and also uh, Lincoln Park, um, Lincoln Park Rugby in Chicago, who uh, good rival of uh, Blaze. But yep. uh, to all for me, and uh, I was blessed. Excellent. Well, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Flattery gets you everywhere with this podcast. So uh, we're going to have to probably end up bringing Corey back because this was a push on this one. So make sure that uh, uh, that you watch and uh, learn when that next opportunity will be for Corey to be able to tackle these two, as you put it, titans of podcasting. Uh, that's going to be the next uh, uh, title that we're going to go with. But gentlemen, once again, uh, I thank you very much for the time to be able to chat about these points. For you as the Rugby Rant fan, we thank you for watching. And you can continue doing so by following us on Facebook. You can do so by visiting our Rugby Rant podcast page or joining us on our other social media platforms under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, where you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter, where you'll get the latest news from us and around the league and, of course, the nation too. On behalf of myself and the gang, I want to say thank you for watching this episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Well, rugby fans, that's another episode done and dusted. Make sure that you follow us on YouTube, follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to be able to learn more about upcoming episodes. And once again, thank you for listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.